I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to season 26, episode 18. 18 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. Mm-hmm. My name is Stu. This is Happy. I'm Bill. And this is Tomes. Well, hi guys. How you guys doing? Good. I am excited. This is like the first time in I don't know three years. Oh or yeah, something crazy probably that I've been on. And all it took was Kimmy having a baby and a global pandemic to get me back on the show. So that's pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, fi- I finally had to figure out how to d- how to do uh, remote hosts. <laughs> I was just drag kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Um, oh. I should probably... Hi. Uh, in this episode of Happy Chicks RPG Podcast, Andreas sends us some thoughts on game prices and PC preferences. Uh, Joe Crack sends us his comments on GMing at conventions. And Jonas asks us about pre-written adventures. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And by the way, if we don't start getting emails, next week's show will be the last one. Because we have three emails in the queue. That's it. What else are you doing? You're home. Right. Write emails. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you'd like to go to our forum or join our forum, if you're not a member, uh, happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. We're on the social media, Meteors, uh, happyjacksrpg, all one word, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and MeWe. And we live stream. And if you'd like to watch the show live, we do so at 7.13 p.m.-ish Pacific time. Uh, daylight time right now uh, at happyjacks.org slash live and that's that so uh, now I haven't been reading any emails unless someone doesn't want to read so because there are four hosts and three emails so if any, who, who would like to read the first email the rant and a question from Andreas rock paper scissors Ro- right. Rochambeau one two three bam oh we both did that we did uh, one two three yeah. shoot why isn't Toppy doing a because he's gonna he's gonna let us fight. Oh, for the yeah, I'm gonna let you guys right, fight. So we're gonna go one, two, three, shoot, right? Yes. Okay, one, two, three, shoot. Oh, all right. All right. Did you so get I'm... to read right? Because you won. Yes, so can it, Bill? All right. Otherwise, you're saying that our emails are only for losers, and I know you're not saying that. I'm not saying that. A rant and a question from Andreas. Hi, Stu and the crew. First, a rant. I felt I had to write in and add my voice to the caller who called in and talked about games being free or what they should cost. If we consider what it pays to write for gaming compared to other kinds of creative writing, it's pretty clear writing for gaming is a terrible way to earn some money. The pay is really, really low on average. If we want a society where people should be able to live on their wages, even on low paying jobs, we should rise those wages considerably if we want professional game writing to be a thing. Most game writers these days also run Patreon campaigns, which underlines how badly paid they are. If we add to this the amount of value you get from a game product, like the campaign, source book, or rules book, it becomes clear that a fair price for a game book should probably be double what it is today, at least. That's, uh, <laughs> sorry, that's me, that's Tom's. But most gamers are cheap stakes. Uh-huh. Cheap skates, I should say. Uh, They expect games to be cheap or preferably free. Worst of all, they bitch about the high costs online. Personally, I find that quite 
offensive. Sum up what you spend on gas and snacks for the game night and give that money to the artists and writers who made the game instead. That was the rant. Should we talk about that first before we go into his question? I think that's a great idea. Okay. Good one. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm going to say this. I just uh, got my COVID-19 refund check. And I'm not in a... I'm in an okay place where we don't need that money. That that money, I mean, it's a lot and I could use it to stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need it, right? And so I looked at that $2,900 refund check from my, my federal government and said, how can I give this to other people? And a big chunk of it is going into me and Jay's gaming supply budget where we can just like spend like crazy. No, just are you, like are you buy a bunch of these games. Are you, you're talking about your tax refund? I'm talking about my tax refund. Oh, okay. So I'm figuring that's one way that I can help. Like I already, every year, I spend a significant amount of money on RPGs, like a right. lot of smaller indie stuff and Kickstarters and, you know, a couple Patreons and stuff like that. And I just do my part, my little part, you know. But uh, now I get to feel like I do a better part. So like if you've got that um, refund check and you don't need it, this is one way to help distribute it to those who do. We also donated to like Feeding America and that kind of shit. But like, you know. food for people too. That's food. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you right from the standpoint that um, one of the things that has been a change for me is I spend way more time on social media now than I have in the past, and especially Twitter. Like I usually spend a lot of time on Facebook and not very much on Twitter. Um, and I spend a ton on Twitter now, and the the vibrancy of the tabletop RPG community there is incredible and the the creators that are there um are just fantastic and i've seen so many more um just things being done and whether those are indie games or whether those are supplements or whether those are like here's my dnd 5e thing that's out and not only is that streaming which is a ridiculous amount of stuff that's happening in terms of streaming but people writing stuff like creating content and so I took the same thing. I looked at my budget and said like, Hey, you know, I'm not driving anywhere right now. I'm not eating out. Right. I've got just some disposable income. There's a lot of different ways to distribute that in a good way. Um, one of them is I've joined some Patreons that I want to support people that are out creating and writing. Right. And getting really cued into, um, more traditionally, uh, like marginalized communities. Right. So supporting people of color and supporting people, you know, of, of different genderings and just supporting female writers and whatever it is. Um, so it's not just, oh, I'm going to buy some more D&D stuff. No, right. no offense, Watsy, but, uh, you know, it's like you're getting everybody's money already. Here's a bunch of people doing really cool stuff. Um, and the reason all those things are in place is because these writers don't make money, even when they work for big companies. Right. Writers remuneration is not high. Um, and that's a that's a problem. That's a big problem because it's not just putting words on paper. A lot of times it's like it's it's more than even the fluff, which takes a lot of work to get that. But if they start actually making the game systems, if they're figuring out those mechanics. Right. That's a ton of work. Oh, and, yeah. you, you know, you look at what goes into it and, you know, they're out there like, hey, can I just get three bucks for this thing? And people are like, nah, I don't want to pay that. Like, wow, that's like <laughs> so much time from them. If they were breaking that down into an hourly rate, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the weird thing is, I remember, <clears throat> I won't say who it was, but 
we, we know of a, a, a band that is sort of a mutual mutual friends that did uh, Patreons for their for their um, CD. And uh, I was talking to the leader of the band, and he's very proud, and he said that every penny they spent on the Kickstarter got sunk into the product. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What about you and your time? <laughs> I mean, you got to be compensated. The whole band, I mean, you've got rehearsal time and songwriting time and all kinds of stuff that you're not getting compensated for. And and, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of people out there when it comes to... To, to crowdfunding sites who get real sort of uppity about, oh, you better spend it all and you better not keep any of it for yourself and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? I, I, I see that every so often and I'm like, what, what, stop being a dick. I mean, these people need to eat, <laughs> right? They have to. They have to survive. They're not. And a lot of those not projects just, are not profitable, <laughs> right? And it's right. not just their time, right? It's their talent. Yeah, it's their ability. How are you not giving somebody proper money for that? Well, that's. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we should start talking more about authors and less about systems. When we like, instead of talking about Deadlands, we should talk about Shane Hensley. Right. Right. Instead of, you know, um, if we're talking about, uh, we can talk about like Mark Ryan Hagen's games, like uh, uh, Ars Magica and shit like that. Um, because you also see stuff that they do consistently throughout their game systems and kind of becomes a very interesting conversations of what types of games or what types of mechanics or how does this specific creator's mind work? And then you can start looking at comparing that to other ones it becomes a very, a, a much more interesting conversation, I think, than just uh, what is better, Traveler or Star Trek game systems. Traveler. Um, yeah. And so oh, yeah, once we I all agree. start talking about, like, <laughs> yeah, well, that is the correct answer. But <laughs> once, once we start talking about this, like, who who wrote Traveler? Who's who's the lead for it? I love that system. I, mm -hmm. well, I can tell All you right, who wrote the original, but I can't tell this you. Is, this is the episode I wanted to come on. Can, can I give so like, an example of some of these recommendations? So just from my perspective. Because, like, you know, go, I come go, on every baby, once go. in a long while. Okay. Um, if you do follow some of the RPG stuff on Kickstarter, uh, are you guys aware of ZineQuest? ZineQuest, no. So like Kickstarter last year did zine quest, which is like, hey, people do a zine as a Kickstarter, you know, like smaller budget, smaller production, maybe more people feel comfortable doing it. So it's not such a big thing. Smart move. The RPG community went crazy on that. And so there was like prolific numbers of designers around settings, <clears throat> systems, mini games, all sorts of bullshit on little zines. So it was like five or 10 bucks. You can get just a PDF or they would send you a zine, which was awesome. And that was like a big thing last year, and they did it again this year. If you check out Kickstarter Zine Quest, you will just find like a plethora of different cool, smaller design stuff. And some of it is just like modules for D&D or other things. Some of it is more like, no, here's a little mini game that's all its own thing. Or, hey, you know this game Masks that's really popular? This is a, a thing for that, right? Or whatever. Um, so that was cool. RPGCSEA, Southeast Asia. That is a hashtag that you'll find on Twitter. There are some amazing designers coming out of that community. In Malaysia and the Philippines are the two bigger countries represented in RPGC, like Indonesia. But there's like some other designers around the entire, you know, Southeast Asia 
area, right? That's what the C stands for. And then um, specifically in that area is something called a thousand thousand islands. So on Happy Jacks, I've streamed a couple of games like Merkurger or whatever, right? And they're like these weird, it's basically the, these two guys in Malaysia writing a Southeast Asian inspired fantasy setting. So instead of a European inspired thing, they're from Malaysia, they grew up there and they took their mythos and then like massaged it and made like a bunch of worlds. And so you get this this fantasy setting that's inspired by their culture, but it's like also made up shit, right? It's all sorts of weird poetic silliness, right? Um, and it's amazing. So I would recommend that. Um, and finally, like, yeah, go seek out some Patreons. There's amazing designers out there making money. I started as just like an enthusiast. Now I am someone who lives with a game designer. So my partner Jay has been writing games and she's doing like a game jam right now that's due like, I don't know, tomorrow or some bullshit. And it's been like a thing. Like, it's interesting to see it from that perspective. She is not making any kind of real money, obviously. But she's also new to the scene, but like doing amazing work. And like, she's putting stuff out. There's all these conversations about paying designers and how much should you charge? Like it, the temptation is to put it for free because you don't think it's worth anything and you don't think anyone will pay for it. But understanding kind of like how much time and effort you put into it, putting a cost of value on it, like five bucks or whatever. And especially with low, um, like easy to, to set up and sell places like itch. Itch.io is like the place where all the indie games are being posted now, not drive through. Drive through is still the big money maker. That's where you get the crowd seeing your stuff. But itch is like the mini indie designer space. Like you can kind of, there's a little bit of that going on. So that's another place to check out. And of course, I'm going to plug my partner, itch.io slash jgrants. That's her games that she's working on. But. So it's I, I get to be a consultant on those. So like, I feel like they're a little bit my games too. So it's really interesting you mentioned that, right? Because it's one of the things I think is also challenging is it's a tight enough margin if you're a writer or a designer, right? But then you go through the distribution networks, right? And like you said, like RPG drive through tons of eyes over there, but they take a big chunk, right? HIO is getting more. I don't know what their policy it's, it's is. It's a slower margin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they have a slower margin. cost. Right, and then, you know, but, but it all feels like it, it, get, it builds up to the point like, can I do a Kickstarter? Because that's where I'm going to re potentially retain the most, right? But then to Stu's point earlier, people get into to that mindset there where like, oh, well, I better, I maybe I better drive all the money that I'm making off of my Kickstarter back into the product, right? So it becomes this double dip of of almost like imposter syndrome as as writers and, de and designers, where it's like, oh, is my stuff good enough? Can I charge for it? Should I charge for it? Right? And then that gets piled on by the distribution cut. Right. So I just, um, Elspeth, who's a happy, happy jacker from way back and my wife, we started a, our own little tabletop company called uh, Wonder Monkey. And we just put a first, our first thing out. Um, I did it through drive through because I did it as part of the uh, community creation uh, content for Shock Traveler, because I love Traveler. Um, and it's a good 34 page supplement that's uh, career paths and it's got all kinds of cool tables and weapons and powers. Uh, it's uh, to, to plug that, it'll be it's, it's Knights of Solaris, which is basically if you want to have space wizards with star swords, 
you should uh, add that is that is uh, not an IP bound by anybody else. <laughs> you should put those in there. Um, you know, and I was like, I don't know, what should I charge for it? I talked with uh, Dave Kazay, right? At uh, and and he was basically saying like, he's like, yeah, you know, he looked at it, he's like, five bucks is reasonable. Like that's probably the right price. I'm like, okay, and you know, they take half by being up there. Yeah. I will ne- I will never make I will never make what I spent. I'm putting that together, right? Not even, not even my time. I'm removing my time and my talent, and my ability from it because I got art in it and I had it typeset professionally because I wanted to be a, a good piece. And I paid those people what they should be paid, right? Now, I realize I'm in a unique position, right? Because I wanted the first thing out to be kind of, kind of cool and fun and look good, you know, and be representative. And I am very fortunate in that I've had a, a good career designing games on the video game side, right? So that's been great. I could create something and realize I'm going to take a loss on it. But man, if this is the thing that I was doing, where I was like, this is how I'm going to try to figure out how to make money, brutal, oh, yeah. brutal, brutal, brutal. And and we're trained by that. I mean, I think one of the other things that's, that's hurt creative content for tabletop players is the mindset that comes from mobile games which is like i want a massive amount of content for free uh-huh. just give me free stuff i want free give me free right and if i don't then you're not giving it to me free i'll get somebody else's free thing right so the consumer the person who's buying it, the fan is thinking that way already going in um and it's just something that like i don't know i'm like i don't know i don't have a good solution how we change that but i, I love to hear about like itch.io and the fact that you get people there and Kickstarter is doing jams. Like it's gotta be something where um, just like in the indie space and video games, right? Like you've got to have publishers, you've got to have these people that actually have the resources step up and help support this content getting done and make sure these people have a pathway to actually generate revenue from that to be able to do it as a living or else it all goes away. Yeah. I mean, right now, yeah. I think that for the vast majority of game designers, it's it's more of a hobby that that maybe gets them a little money rather than a, a way to make a living. So I think there's there's uh, uh, you know like I rambled a little bit, but there's a couple more little points. One, I think uh, that's a great point about if you have friends and you know and they're in that field, like that's a good place to go to see, <clears throat> you know, how to market and how much to market your games for. Cause you don't want to undersell them. Right. So like talking to like a David Kaze, for example, who like knows what that market is, boom, you can get an answer. If you don't know what that answer is and you don't have somebody like that, I would recommend going onto Twitter and following some people who are talking about that kind of thing. I am very bad of memory, but I will remember this. <laughs> like you might want to start with D Pennyway. Uh, uh, they are uh, a Twitter person and they've got like, they have a lot of conversations about, um, specifically how much to sell your game for and, you know, like how to think about those things. It's not going to give you an answer like, hey, $3. It's, but it's going to say like, how do you think about this thing and how do you value it and how do you want to market that kind of to the community? And that, that's it, right? It's like those conversations. And there's other people talking about that. But if you start with them, I'm sure they'll point you at other people. You'll be good. Um, and then finally, there are communities that help support this kind of stuff. So like you guys, for example, you know, like you're streaming other people's games and not all those games are big games, right? Like that's a combination of like other stuff. So this is one of the ways that that happens, right? That you get 
money to these designers. And I think like it's commendable, like this kind of shit that you guys are doing. Like you're not doing it where you're only playing the games that'll pay you like some kind of public, you know what I mean? Like it's not advertisement and that it's love of the game. And I think that is, that shows, right? People want to see that. Um, I'll like recommend one other spot. If you're a smaller indie designer, you could look at like the Gauntlet Codex is one example. There's like these zines that come out and they pay the writers a pretty good number like per word for the game and different things like that. But not just that, you retain the rights to your game. And that's the main thing you want to do is yes, they're promoting me as a zine, but it's my work and I can, re I can sell it however I want later. So like knowing those kind of things is cool and finding the people who support that. Uh, Tappy wanted to say something. I totally forgot what it is. Okay. <laughs> I have no clue. Sorry, Tappy. It's all right. <laughs> you know that's have... that's an interesting thing that that Tone you just brought up is is another. And I hadn't even thought about this, and it's great. Like another avenue to help bring these things out, right? Are the very successful streamers, right? That have a lot of eyeballs, right? And if all they're doing is saying like, "Oh, hey, we're going to play the top two or three game systems that are available at all." Right, and that's all you ever see. Well, that's all anybody who's coming in to the tabletop RPG hobby sees, right? But if you've got, and I'll just call them out because we know them and they're huge. If Matt Mercer is like, "Hey, here's this cool indie game, and we're going to play this," and I apologize to Matt after doing this, um, you know, like that's that's a ton of visibility oh, yeah. for, for for you know for the hobby, yeah. and that's interesting. Um, and some and extent, something that you could do. You've seen them do a little bit of that, just like you guys have done. The, the main thing is like play the game you love, right? Because if you're just playing to do the thing, it's going to show and people aren't going to be that into it, right? And that's what I love about watching you guys is you're playing what you love. Like you can hear it, right? All right. Uh, do you want to uh, go on to his question? Tomes? Oh my God, we're only halfway through this letter. <laughs> this, this is like COVID all over again. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> wow! Um, by All the right. way, that's as more hyperbole than that I sounds. Andreas, I love you. I, I, I am, I am like you. I have been here forever watching Happy Jacks shows. <laughs> Andreas goes back with me as a listener, so I'm in love. <clears throat> Honored that I can read the rest of your a question. I found that many gamers, myself included, often gravitate towards certain kind of characters. Among the hosts, Storic has, for example, expressed his inclination to create rangers when playing D&D. I'm pretty sure most of us can recognize those habits. I try to challenge myself when playing games with, lot, with lots of randomization. Roll them bones and play what you get. But what do you do when the game is a point buy or maybe a playbook or similar archetype based system? How do you challenge yourself to play something new and develop as a gamer? Create a character and then pass it to the player on the left and play what you get. Ooh, that's a fascinating idea. Hmm. Pick a tarot card, Decima card maybe, and make a character out of that. Have any of you tried something like that? How did it go down? Naturally, this is not for everyone, but if you have felt you're stuck in a rut, what do you do? Any ideas? But first, drink. Cheers, Sorry, Andreas, in SE, Sweden. Oh, my God. I'm honored to have read your letter, by the way. 
A lot of love, Tom. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. that's actual sincere mm-hmm. love right there. Me and Andreas go way back, dude. Like seriously, like eight years or some shit. How long's he been running you guys? Long time. Mm-hmm. I could I could I can tell you. You guys uh, start addressing this, and I'll let you know exactly. Um, <laughs> one thing I kind of want to say is, um, while I think it's a good idea if you're interested in kind of like. Uh, like pushing yourself and doing different characters as if you were an actor. This is also fun. And if you like was said at the end, like it's not for everybody. <laughs> don't feel pressure to do this kind of thing. Cause what really sucks to get into a campaign with a character you don't really like. Oh yeah. Like if there's types of characters you like and types of characters you don't like, I like my characters to be just fucking weirdos and whatever they're going to be. And if I ended up with a character who is like a basic paladin, I, I would have to fuck with that somehow because if I didn't, I, I just wouldn't have any fun. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? I mean, one of the things I've found that um, I do when I when I write characters um, and or come with the ideas for them is that I'm always playing against type, right? So it's really hard for me to say, oh, I'm going to play uh, like an uh, orc barbarian or you know an uh, orc warrior whatever it is like it's always got to be some strange like, like he's an orc but he's a paladin who's an alcoholic right it's going to be like some like strange thing um right now i'm playing with uh elspeth and i are playing with adam and joey um uh and uh and the pots duo um in a uh in a star trek adventures game and the character I mean is like, well, I'm going to make a security. I'm going to make security chief, right? So I go a completely different direction where all of my stuff is more about investigation, like my physical stats, which normally are the ones that if you're going to like fight somebody or use a phaser, right? You're using security plus I think it's fitness or whatever it is. That's my lowest stat. Is the physical one because all my stuff is like perception and intellect and everything. So. My character's like, oh, I'm running the investigations on the ship, right? I'm more of a, and then and then there's like many, many, many levels to the onion because I'm a part of the, I'm playing an Andorian who's a part of the Amtal, which is basically their black ops spy society. And I'm also a member of Section 31, which is the Starfleet Intelligence Black Ops. And I'm playing the two against the middle, right? So it's like, I can't just play, you know, the security chief who's like the big Klingon. Mm-hmm. To do that because it's just like uh, I'm gonna play against Tyler. <laughs> so I get you. I feel you. Like if if you did the thing, you all wrote characters and then passed them to the right. Like I'd be super bummed if I got. Oh, okay. I'm playing Warf. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm playing Warf. <laughs> okay, so check this out. There's some games that flirt with something in the middle of this, and some of you guys have played this. You, who's played Ten Candles? Oh yeah, that's right. It does right? that. It does that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're creating your character, and you get to do your name and stuff, but then the virtue gets passed to the left, and the vice gets passed to the right, so you're like, ads, and d- advantages and disads are kind of like distributed in weird ways, and then you get to do this kind of final thing, so it kind of plays with, okay, I have some character agency, now I don't, and then I get to wrap it up with some more character agency. And, you know, like they're very light characters anyways, but that way, you know, and especially if like the disad somebody gives you just says like conceited, like you could play that any way you want, right? So like a lot of these, like it, it's a game that kind of plays with a little bit of this concept, but without going all the way, right? Where I'm just making your own character, right? See, now, now here is where I'm like, I don't really think 10 Candles is an RPG. 
I think it's a party game that has role-playing elements in it. Uh, well, this is the great thing about you and me discussing this, is I actually don't ever talk about what consists in RPG, because I have good, strong opinions about that. <laughs> so Fair I'll, enough. You're good. But, <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's when it's difficult, because it's like, oh, well, this happens in here. How do you take that and bring it to a regular, more kind of traditional or even like Apocalypse World role-playing game? I mean, look, even the word G, games, sometimes people are going to have some pretty good philosophical arguments about that one. But I also tend to avoid those, too. Fair enough. I mean, it's really interesting. I, I've, uh, one of the things that um, I think it's Mook that was the first person I saw do this, and, and he, he was bringing what I think of now as maybe more indie game mentalities to GURPS. Right, which is we'd be making our character, we're talking about them, and then he just asks you a question like, "All oh, so, um, what was it that Tappy's character found out about you that sent you to prison?" And then you're like, "Oh, oh man!" Right. So I'm still making the choice, but he's putting a, a relationship flavor for me to be considered there. Right. So like, I'm being presented with something, I still have agency in it but it's not where I would maybe naturally have gone with the character. Right. And that's like, that's pretty interesting. Very. And yeah. Mook, Mook is a, like a GM genius, right? Yeah. Like I've played in a couple of his games and they're always fantastic and you can play at different levels. So if you want to come in and you want to play GURPS and you want to be like, I need my graphing calculator cause I'm going to bust this shit out. You can play that game and he's going to give you that game. But also, like, you can play, like, without knowing anything. Like, if you're me and you want to be a hippie and not know any rules, like, I can come in and just play that game and have a blast. Uh, just so you know, uh, on Andreas's first email uh, was on Season 6, Episode 18, from uh, uh, December 17th, 2011. Wow. 11, dude. <laughs> So that's that's almost nine years. And it was about that's armor class. I, I have the email here. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good oh. until you said that. <laughs> was that the the soak against uh, versus like minuses debate? Um, well, I, let me, let me, um, <laughs> it's a can. It has worms in it. Let's leave it closed. <laughs> I just want to know if it's about that. I, I heard someone, Stu, question mark, wanted to, to saint the guy who invented the idea of armor as damage reduction. I know uh, who it is, and you just have to travel to Arizona to meet him. Uh, uh, oh, 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 Ken St. Andre. Uh, that would have been, what, Tunnels and Trolls, probably. So, so, he, this, is, so this is interesting, right? Because that goes back to the thing where you're like, oh, I don't know who that did that, but right. they should be sainted, right? He's like, I happen to know. And because it, and, it's making me think about the last conversation we had, entertainment specifically unless it's like television or movies is horrible about you knowing who made anything oh yeah right like it is very rare that someone who plays video games can tell you who the designers were on the product or tabletop games can tell you who the designers were in the product right it's like music yep i know who's in the band i know musicians sometimes those people only know the band they might not know the individuals but at least they know the band Right. And I think there's two things that contribute to that. One, in films and television and music, right? The people that are doing it are in front of you. So you see them. Right. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm making a connection with that person. Well, you know, two, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then the other one is that 
games specifically are all about giving the the player the power. So I, I'm not presenting to you as much as I'm creating an interactive experience or giving you the tools to go create your own interactive experience. So it's it's not about me and my presentation and my performance and my words and story. Right? Like people know who J.K. Rowling is because they've read her work, but that is her presenting you something. Like the work as a designer that I'm doing is getting something in front of you that then you make yours and you enjoy in your way. So almost by design, we pull ourselves out of the recognition process. The, the, and it's like songwriting. I mean, how many how many of our songs end up getting posted on the web somewhere with with the saying that they're traditional? Because you know we mm-hmm. yeah. write a lot of songs for Renaissance oh. Fair. I uh, I heard at um uh oh what uh, I was on uh, not Spotify the the shitty one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apple, Apple Music? No, 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 no. Uh, Pandora. Pandora. Somebody did exactly a copy of Finnegan's Wake from the Boggards with the exact same callbacks. Oh, really? Like, oh, you know what? word for word. I might know who that is. God, I gotta think about it. I can't remember right now. Was it a tribute? Uh, yeah, that's what it was. A tribute. It might have been. <laughs> who knows? It might have been. And uh, the other um, thing is, I get emails from people who are like, can we record this song? It's like, yeah, go ahead. If, but if you get, if you guys get famous with it and make a ton of money, then we're going to talk. <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't care. And then uh, two years later, someone says, hey, someone recorded your song. I'm like, yeah, I probably told them they could. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should make money off that stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can I add one more thing to yeah. this uh, this question, this Andreas question? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, the next question. It's this thing about the character passing. A game to try is called The Final Girl. And this isn't the only game that does it, but it's been around for a while. So you know the concept, the movie concept? Yes. Right, like horror movies, The Final Girl is the last person who survives the horror encounter, right? Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever. And then maybe they survive or maybe they didn't because like Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, And so this is a game that lets you do that. And what you do is let's say the four of us were playing, we each create three characters, right? And this becomes a character pool. And as we're playing the game, we're just setting, we're taking turns setting scenes and killing people off. So that means that each of us plays different characters at different times on a scene I'll set the scene like, oh, this is in the cabin and we can see the shadow back here and da 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 Okay, Bill, you choose a character. And now you look at your pool, you choose whoever you want to play in that scene. And we all do that. And so what's happening is we all get to play different characters that we've all collaboratively created. Each of us have created like three of these guys, right? But I can play anybody. I can play Bill's character. I can play Stu's, whatever, right? And as you're going on and people are starting to get murdered because mechanics, and then the people who stay get more points to more easily stay later because investment in the story. And so if you're, fe- you're getting this movie going on where you don't know who the main characters are in the beginning, like you never do when you watch a movie, right? And there's like a bunch of people. And now at the end, you find out the final girl, right? The last person who survived. It's, fa- it's fantastic. So like, this is a game you can use to see if you can enjoy that process of having someone else create a character for you. It's almost like training for that. And if you don't enjoy that game, you know, maybe that's not for you. Even if you do enjoy that game, you might want to make your own character in D&D or whatever, right? But, like, it's a way to flirt with that 
um, in a different kind of game mechanic. That's super interesting to me. Um, like one of the things that um, Star Trek Adventures does that's really interesting, and I'll play our, our intro in the background, one thought, um, <laughs> is, is the idea that you have your main characters that you make, right? And those are the ones that you put the most points into and everything. But then there's a whole mechanic system that's set up to be able to have um, like all these basically like other crew members when you need them. Because let's say I make the ship's doctor. Well, if there's an away mission, I'm probably not going to, I might not send a doctor on the away mission. It may not be the right thing to do, right? Or, oh my God, or, you could play a whole company of red shirts is what you're telling me. You can, yeah. So basically you you can like very quickly, they have a super fast mechanic to like just make another character that's appropriate. You can name stuff and you take them down. And the thing that's really interesting is um, it allows you to like, as your kind of main character, do what you really, really want to do, but you're never caught short. The, the, the game master's never caught short of saying like, oh, man, I got to make, I got to make a scenario that makes sense for everybody to go on. Right. Um, or, oh, we can't do this one. I set this big thing up to go down and this player didn't show up. And that now is we don't super have clever game design. a security player. You're just like, oh, great. I'm going to make a security officer. Okay. Boom. Here they go. Right. And the thing that's cool is they also have a mechanic is if that character starts becoming more than a secondary character, because people like like them and play them a lot. Like Chief O'Brien? Yeah, like Chief O'Brien. Then you start having ways you can start applying more skills to them and more virtues and more like all these different things, right? So it's, it's, it's one of the things I really like about their system is, um, and we've had that happen, and we've had some characters now, um, Katie plays the doctor, but she made this like ensign engineer who's amazing and is totally in love with the chief engineer. Right. And, and now we're kind of all clamoring, waiting for like, all. I can't wait for there's a mission where I can't go on, but they need another engineer. Cause I can't wait to play that character. It's the same idea, <laughs> right? Anybody can play these characters get made. I, I love that as a mechanic, it's super smart. Um, and yeah, it lets you, it, and, and it gives you the opportunity as well of saying like, oh, you know, what would be really interesting is let's just do a B team mission with all these other like, you know, secondary characters you've introduced and let's go play that. The, the, that that's really clever game design. That's really clever game design. I think the, the I think they figured it out, but the chat room was losing their shit because they saw they saw the credits for Adam West being in a Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, Adam's our Adam's our GM, right? We're doing we we basically were like, hey, let's all play, right? Let's do Star Trek Adventures, and it's Adam and Joey and else with me and Katie and Kurt Potts, and uh, and I wanted to learn Adobe Premiere. Mm -hmm. Right, because I wanted to do some video editing, and so I just took it on myself. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to make an intro sequence for it, like it was an actual Star Trek thing. So, Star Trek Endeavor is our our show, um, and it was cool. It was like uh, it's like, oh, I want to. Uh, this is a, a thing that I, I wonder. I'm going to ask if if you all do this too. I find myself myself like I want to do something, make a prop for a game, or or put something up or do, you know, put up a website or whatever it is, and I don't know how to do it, so I have to teach myself how to do it to then achieve the thing I want for the game, which is, like, what this is. Oh, yeah. And I'm interested if you guys do that, too. I've done that. Mm-hmm. I, I okay. So I used to make a lot of games out of Lego. 
<laughs> so so that's that's where I started to do that. Like that was my original direction. Like you guys put me onto Savage Worlds and I was like, oh wow, okay, this this is how I can run my D and D or Star Frontiers game or whatever. And so I did that for a couple of years with a bunch of Lego props um, that I'm still very proud of. I still have them. They I could run this for you now if I needed to. Um and then I made a Fallout Shelter game with Lego. So I get it. I totally that get like the creative. Brilliant, dude. The Fallout and Shelter like, game was brilliant. Dude, the, the people who do like paint and like all the terrain shit, I get that shit. There's like a super desire to have this like beautiful, you know, presentation. And for me, Lego was that was my way of doing it in my way. But like I totally get it. I think for me recently, part of my problem, and I'll say this is a problem as a as a hippie gamer is that, you know, you get into this like very, like some of the rules are so light and stuff. Like it kind of eliminates sometimes the need to have the props because a lot of it becomes like in the mind eye, we're just doing story bullshit, right? Like that kind of thing. And that can be, you know, like, yeah, you use index cards. Sure. It's all cinematic, but I miss a little bit of that tactile nature. And so one of the things that I did more recently is like, I'll find these indie games, but mix it with like a setting like that Southeast Asian one. And then my props instead are like, oh, well they did the art. I'm Their prop is the art because that is gorgeous and you need to see it playing this game. So it's not me creating like a set piece. It's kind of like, I'm gonna use the designers or the artist set piece in the game because that's so important. And like people do similar things, right? Where they get artists and, you know, grab their art you know, in little albums or whatever to inspire them for the cinema of the game, right? But um, yeah, I, I get it. Making things. I, I taught when, myself Python so I could so I could do traveler uh, trade codes without having to actually use their charts. <laughs> that, which was a nice. ridiculously overkill. Yeah, I think Tappy inadvertently did this. Because I will say one of the things I enjoyed the most about the Fallout campaign was the fact that your engineer, like because you knew all that stuff, like your engineer was so freaking believable. Dude, that was intense. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, and like, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting when you have real world experience of something. I think it also changes your ability to be like super creative because you know what your limitations are. That's one of the things that I like about Star Trek uh, is that uh, you're like fucking you're, you're basically humans are basically space wizards with technology. You can do fucking anything with techno babble. Um, whereas, you know, when you're in like, uh, you know, the, the near future post apocalypse, like, oh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you need to do for to get plants growing and shit like that. It's And if you don't do these things, we're all going to die. All right. Uh, any last things before we move on to the next one? No? Going? Last thing I'll say is I liked the idea of this have have a little element and either either add it or have it be part of the basis for the character, right? Like the like the in the email type like a, a tarot card or a decima card or something like that, right? Like giving something and it's interesting to tone to to tone's part. Like, if that was actually a physical prop, right? If that was a thing, like, I would be cool if you went to a game and said, like, hey, you need to bring a physical prop with you 
that you're going to hand to someone else is going to be a part of their character. Oh yeah. Right. Like I'm not telling them what to do, but man, I'm giving them like, here's an interesting seed for you to plant. Right. Would be super cool. Mm-hmm. That yeah, would be, that sounds that great. Be very cool. And another thing I really like is I bet you, you could put a pool of NPC characters that are playable by PCs in any game. Like there's really no reason you can't, yeah. you can probably put together like a, a super quick thing like they had in Star Trek, but that's not, the 2d20 system isn't like set up just to do that. Like you can really, you could do that in traveler. No problem. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you could do that in, uh, you know, you could even do that in like D and D, um, you know, just do quick picks of certain things and you're ready to roll. Um, but yeah, I really like that idea of just, you know, when the time comes or if you need a different character for whatever reason, just switch to another one you've made. Right. Okay. All right, thank you, Andreas in Sweden. Uh, GM. Oh, sorry, Andreas. Again, I love you. <laughs> uh, GMing at cons from Joe Crack. Who would like to read that one? I'll read it. Okay. GMing at cons from Joe Crack. There we go. Uh, on a recent episode, I shockingly found myself agreeing with Stu for once. A GM <laughs> is not simply there to entertain other players. A GM is part of the game. Or is the game a part of the GM? Um, at our local conventions, our local organizers have told the GMs that your fun is just as important as the players. So if you have a problem player, you have the right to remove them from the game. If facilitating a game like Fiasco, then likely the facilitator also wants to play. So they have every right dictating how many players they want to have at the table. Uh, is this some sort of callback, by the way? It is. Uh, uh, let me explain it. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. So, but go so, ahead. Someone, had, someone was at a con, and the guy was, I think he was running Fiasco, and uh, he had brought in, he, he wanted to limit it to four or five players, and he, this table was full, and people were showing up asking if there was room in the game, and he was literally ignoring them and not acknowledging that they were asking him a question. <laughs> <laughs> the guy had other problems as well, but... That was that was the 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 impetus for the for the thing, and I, I, what he's probably talking about is the fact that I like to have a, a smaller table, rather play with four players rather than six because it's I think you're going to give the players a better game, and also if the if the players are getting a better game, I feel better about the game myself. You know what I mean? And the larger it is, it just it just ends up becoming more work and less fun for the GM. You were a trailblazer at our con for that. I know. Right? Because it was every six. It was six, six, six. You got to have six. And part of it was the requirements that you had to have so many people at your table and run so many games like total to get free hours packs. or something. Yeah, right. player hours, right? And I remember you said, like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, four people is the most I'm going to run. Yeah. It's a better game. Right? And then now that's like, now everybody's doing that. <laughs> you, were, you were a trendsetter. You were a trendsetter. I, I followed that trend. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, like when I first came to the con, it was because I had listened to your podcast and I showed up at your games. Like I played in a Cthulhu game and there was like seven players mm -hmm. and it was still fucking fabulous. Like we all had such a blast. And so I thought that was just the way it had to be with six players. And of course the rules around the con. And so that's what I did for a while. And then the first time, like only three or two people show up or three people show up after you've had full tables and you're like, Huh, this is a lot easier and a lot more fun. <laughs> oh yeah. And so and yeah, everybody like, gets more screen time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did the same. I like I dropped to four and you had to run three games instead of two, but it was like, yeah, I was running three anyways, whatever. Oh, I, I also take uh I, I they they count the the um the live show on Saturday nights as one of my events. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> so I can get away with I should that. start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I really like five because if one drops out, you still got four, and that's a good game. Three, I think, is a little light. Yeah, three is light, but after playing so many hippie games, I've played so many two and three player games that have been so satisfying that when I get a table of two or three, like I'm, I'm still nervous because I come from like feeling like that's not enough dynamic. It, it kind of puts more pressure on your two, right? Like you got to come up with more shit or what? But like. Like I found that, you know, if you give them a lot of the player, the like story authority, if you're playing like a hippie game, so like I'm not as responsible for making some shit that makes sense. Like we're all doing it, <laughs> less pressure. And then, uh, you know, they so, like just having three people or two people. Sometimes it's just like you get to let everybody come up with more shit. It's not for everybody though. Like I've also had like completely horrible games that way. But. Yeah, I, when I think back when, I, when 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 Bill and I were in college, when we met, um, I, I ran a GURPS game, and I think from the vast majority of that, we had four players. I, yeah. I seem to recall it, yeah. was, it was you, Brian, Stevie, Stevie, and Fred. Yeah, and that was and and, and that was that was our the, the total group. I mean, people would all, other people would come and go, but we played with a core group of four for years. Yeah, it was it was the thing that was really cool about that um, was that when a we all I mean everybody got more spotlight, but when something happened, it, it oddly enough it felt like it meant more, right? When when Stevie's character got possessed or whatever happened to him, right? And he decided, and he was the mage, right? And we were fairly high points at that point. When he decided he was going to turn on the party, it was like oh. This just got real bad, real fast, and it wasn't like there was eight of us that could stand against him. Right. There was three of us, right? Um, and so suddenly, there those stakes were a lot higher, and that made for a lot more interesting story. And Stevie was really good about making mages and and oh, Europe, and using points. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, is that the one where it's like the the levitate spell or whatever, where you I levitate them a thousand feet and then drop them? Apportation, I think, was the name of the yeah. show. But yeah, I think he, either, he, either he or Eric Aldrich came up with that tactic. I don't remember which one right. of them it was. Like, how high is it till terminal velocity? That's how high I apportate them. Okay, I turn the spell off. <laughs> oh, magic it, it, is cool, but magic plus physics? Right. <laughs> well, it was actually, was, if I recall, it was worse than that because it 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 it, it caused the 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 character you're you're casting it on to move at a rate of like one or two meters a second for a minute and you could send them and you, and it wasn't a spell you had to concentrate on you could literally just cast it on the person and then forget about it and go do whatever you want and they're just going to drop 120 yards <laughs> at, some point, at some point in the future probably long after the combat's over <laughs> yeah but that's, that's literally how you win D&D right right <laughs> and if he bounces you do it again well the thing that's interesting too is at the end of that like he, his character started to go crazy yeah. and was obviously a threat and so we all were like the rest of the three of us were like all, oh no it's all good we were like you know everything's great and we got him to a point where I was on one side of him 
and Brian was on the other side of him and we were going to go through, we we're going to enter some, I don't know, a, a temple or I don't know what we're going to do. And basically <laughs> Brian was like, it's like, Hey, left nut. And I'm like, Hey, right nut. And he goes, who's the penis between us? And we both just stabbed him. Like and that, that was the table talk. That was it. Um, we were super mature. I remember uh, that. Dude, sometimes the story of saving the world sounds like that. Yeah, yeah that was our story of saving the world. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, back to Joe Crack's email. Because um, <laughs> I think I... Okay. Did we finish reading I have it? a thing to say about it. Okay. If that's cool. Like... Big, t I get it. Like you're at a con, responsibility as a GM to showcase the game and blah blah blah. But you're also there because you want to have a fucking good time. And sometimes that's running a big game. Sometimes it's running a smaller game and making those decisions. I, this guy from the original letter right. definitely could use some like communication practice. <laughs> but at the same time, like I think he knew what he wanted, <laughs> obviously. And so like knowing what you want and being able to communicate about that is great. Yeah. So that's a great premise. However. If you do want to try smaller games, dude, you can go smaller, smaller. Let's take it down. Three-player games, two-player games. There's one-player games. There's even a zero-player game. I'm not fucking shitting you. It's, it's masturbation. Really, okay, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're uh, okay. Wait, uh, choose your own adventures, right? A zero-player <laughs> game is that assuming there is, or is counting the GM as a player or not? No, it counts as the GM as a player. So the zero-player game actually has nobody playing it. So I've like, got... okay, is that a game? I know me and Kathy will have <laughs> some good words wait, about how... it. It's definitely a poem. It's a poem. Okay, let's go. But, okay, seriously. How do you have a like, zero-player so, game? I mean, not even that... the GM is playing. There's nobody there. It's just a rock. Like, it's just there. I was thinking. Go check out P.H. Lee, Four Ways to Die in the Future. It's four mini-games, and one of them is a zero-player game. P.H. Lee. What, what right. is it called again? Steam Quest. For, for, are, you, there's, are, you are you sure it isn't just a GM and then no players? There's no GM. I will not be. No I will not be taking questions. You have to go <laughs> do your research. All right, I'm gonna. I'll look that up. Four ways to die in the forest. Is that what was it called? In the future. In the future. Four ways to die in the future. In the future forest. I, I ran one of the games for our indie RPG meetup. Like the but, only. But nobody the, showed up. But like, it was fine. It was a zero player even game. Even tomes apparently. <laughs> Now you know my trick. <laughs> um, it, it was the only game of the four where I was like, oh yeah, this is a real game I can play at a table. <laughs> I mean, the other ones are cool too. Like, you can play them, I guess. But, you know. Uh, but fantastic. It's a work of art. Um, I, but I do want to talk about smaller tables. Like, there's two-player games out there and three-player games, and those games can be fantastic. And so sometimes you want to go to a con and run a game, and you want it to... It's, it, it has a limitation. Downfall only takes three players, right? Starcrossed is a two-player game. It's a two-player game about love that should not be, right? With a Jenga tower. Like, those games are specifically made for very small parties. And so it's okay to do that. Just learn how to communicate. <laughs> and we'll all be good. <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else on, on that? Moving on. Uh, Pre-written adventures from Jonas Larson. The Scandinavians are, are represented. Me, me, me. That's me. Let me turn my mic on for real and not use spacebar because I just tried to do that and it was like, I'm putting a lot of spaces in the Google Doc. <laughs> uh, okay. GM Nick Cons from Joe Crack. On a, uh, no. Pre written adventures from John, Jonas Larson. 
Greetings from your longtime fan, Jonas Larson, a.k.a. the unforgettable understudy of Uncommon Man. The topic of today's electronic mail is pre-written adventures. I have always been the one in my group that loved to GM instead of being forced to do it. It's fantastic to make your own stuff and see what inquisitive drama will spring forth when it comes in contact with your players. But I have also always loved to run pre-written modules. But on your podcast, the general consensus seems to be different. You have said things like that pre-written modules are only something that you use in a pinch, and it's actually more work to run one instead of making one yourself like a real auteur. I've never been able to understand that. It's like a musician saying that she only composes her own music and never played anyone else's songs. So about a year back, I got a gig as a content editor for an RPG company, and now I have RPG writing as part of my livelihood. Uh, that has got me to thinking more professionally about what makes a good written adventure, and I would love to hear your opinions on the matter. So my questions are, oh, multi-part questions. Uh -huh. Why do you prefer to write your own stuff over pre-written modules? If that's actually the case, and I'm not just jumping to nasty conclusions. Should we do these one at a time? Yeah, or should I read all three? Read all three, and then we'll address them. <clears throat> Second question, what kind of pre-written adventures are interesting to you? What do you like to see in them? And the third is, do you have any pre-written adventures or campaigns that you've run and liked? Uh, you are my RPG role models, and I'm really looking forward to your answers. With regards, Jonas Larson. Oh, by the way, Jonas Larson's first email was in Season 9, Episode 17. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, me and Jonas also go way back. <laughs> but maybe a one-sided relationship. Um, I do want to say that I was a huge part of the forum for a long time. I'm not talking about the current forum. I'm talking about the forum. Right, yeah, yeah. Real oh, forum. yeah. Like, the Wild West. Like, Jib was always at the top there, statistic-wise, because Jib. But I, I was in the top ten at one point. And, 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 and then Jim wrote a bot to write all those posts. <laughs> all right. Why do you prefer to uh, write your own adventure over pre-written modules? If that's the actual case, and I'm not just jumping to nasty conclusions. First off, do you all agree with that statement? I, I certainly do. I don't know. How, how does it? I, yeah, I do, I do not care for pre-written modules. I, I also do not care for pre-written modules. I disagree. Good. That's why you're on the show. Yeah, that's right. Tappy, ban, tappy ban him. <laughs> no, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge of this one. Uh, um. So, so what now? I'll, what what reasons do you have for not preferring them or preferring them? For me, like, um, if I'm going to do that amount of work anyway. He just froze. My players have so much agency, if you know what I mean. Like in my last game, one of my players destroyed the underworld, and then the rest of the game was about how she destroyed the underworld. Right. And so, like, player character, like, actions have consequences, not necessarily bad ones. Like uh, in the game, Traveler game that Bill and I were in, or that Bill is in of mine, where Bill's like, hey, this culture sucks. They do something terrible. We should end that. And everybody's like, yeah! I'm like, well, I guess that's what the, this game's about then. And with a, a, pre a, a predefined adventure, I don't have that ability. I have to, like, steer him back or tell him why he can't. And I, like, the moment the the entire game is in the player's hand and they're doing what they want and they are active instead of reactive, that's when I love the game. When I am reacting to 
to them, not they're reacting to me. Right. And pre-written modules are set up so that this is a thing and the players have to react to it. And that's just not my jam. Someone else? Is it my turn? Yeah, go ahead. Do you want to be a turn or do you want us all to pile on first? What do you want? Go, bring it to All right. So, (laughs) yes and no, right? Like, there's, like, I came from a background, like, I'm, I'm old. Like, not quite as old as some of us, but hey, I am pretty up there. Hey. 74, right? I'm wearing, like, oh, this yeah. is the, the expert set I had, right? Like, I, I was back there, right? You're 74 years old? That's what I got that of that, too. I was like, wow, you look amazing. Wow. <laughs> Which body you go to? <laughs> so, uh, you know, back then, modules were modules, right? You had a game system, and then you had a module, which was, like, the pre-written thing that you kind of went through. It obviously had kind of like a goal and stuff, but like as time's gone on, sometimes that's shifted a little bit. And like, so some of the stuff I'll see in some of the indie space is like, you know, there'll be like these kind of pseudo settings that you can kind of use for any system and it kind of telling you what's happening, but maybe not necessarily, or maybe it's using mechanics to kind of like automatically generate some of what's happening, you know, in a weird way. So you, you get a story and it's definitely around a certain kind of topic, but it's not really telling you how to approach it or even like all the rooms or any of that kind of shit. Like that's not structured at all. So like there's this kind of middle ground where you have these settings and like modules in a sense, but they're not connected to the mechanics. So you could run it in any game system you want, right? So if you're into D&D, awesome. Do it as a D&D game and you can figure that shit out. Or if you're into fiasco, cool. You could do this as a fiasco scenario <laughs> because it's just about shit going bad, right? Even though it's in like a weird fantasy world. And so, you know, like I, I think that's an interesting space where you kind of like, there's some like pseudo settings and then pseudo game systems and like kind of mixing and playing with those. So like that Southeast Asian fantasy thing I was talking about, the first book of that is this world called Murkurgur. And I just took that and kind of like, like it looked like Fall of Magic in a way. And so I made it play like kind of like a Fall of Magic game. But I didn't play it like those guys wrote it because they play D&D. Like that's what they know, you know, and they know some other games as well. But like that was where they came from. And that's why the guy wrote the thing. But when I read it, it didn't ever didn't have any stats and shit in it. It was just like poetry about this weird place. So like I didn't have to run it in any game system that was mechanical. I could run it in a story game, right? And there's another, the second book that came out is List of Otherworld, and I'm running it in Everyone's a Suspect, which is a murder mystery game, because it, it's all about spies and cats and shit. So it was like, oh, this might be a good game to run this thing in. So you kind of like mash the two together. And to me, that's that's a really interesting, like kind of fun thing to do, right? Because like, I'm also like, if I think of traditional RPGs and like crunchy systems, like running a module, like that's not fun for me unless I get to do whatever the fuck I want, like Happy was saying, right? Like, I'll use it as a basic basis, and then I'll kind of do what I want with it, right? Anyways, that's my yeah. ramble. The thing, the thing I don't tend to like about modules, and maybe uh, I would feel differently if I was trying to run them again, because that's kind of how we all ran everything when we were oh, sure. starting. That's all there was, and I, you know, whatever, I was 14. I had no concept of, like, I'm going to write a whole thing. Then... Um, is that is from a player experience and um, to kind of, to kind of, you know, walk the walk, just talk the talk. Cause I think we've spent a lot of time, at least in years previously on the show, 
kind of like you're talking about like a uh, adventures guild or like all these prefab things. And so at one con I signed up and I went and did it. Right. right. I went and did it and did the adventures guild and ran through it. And all it was, was being told no. Like I, oh, I want to do this thing. Yeah. That's not covered in the, that's not covered in the module. You can't do that, right? And then I made up a character and I brought it in and it's all according to the rules and people are like, oh, you know, you really should take this instead because, you know, you'll have, it's just like, I, <laughs> there, was, there was no like, hey, cool character concept. You're like, oh, hmm, interesting way to solve the problem. It was like, no, 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 that's not how it goes, no. And I think that the challenge with that is, especially in, in you know, structured play like that where part of their mission is to say, hey, you're going to earn points and your character's going to be in, you can take that anywhere, right? And your character's okay is they get in this mindset of like, well, I can't alter the rules. I can't change it because everybody has to go through it in the same way, in the same fashion. But boy, is that a downside for players and for the GMs too, right? So I think that's, I've, I've had enough bad experiences being on the receiving end of modules where you know, I'm just kind of not excited by them. I'd rather either as a GM or with a, a good GM, when something comes up like, oh, rails? What are rails? Forget that. Let's go. Let's go whatever direction it is because now the story is super interesting. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with both of you about that. the sort of constraint you feel or a constraint that exists with pre-written modules. The other thing for me is my eyes start glazing over as I start reading through them because it's not like you can just pick it up and run the game without having pre-read the thing. And very often, even back even back in the 70s when I'd go pick up modules from the from the hobby shop and and look through them back when with first edition D&D, it's like I I don't know why I bought this. I'm just the text it's is homework. Just, right, exactly. It is. And and you know, and it's written in Hygagaxian back then. <laughs> which is which is tough and 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 I just now now one of the things that you mentioned and I think because his second question what kind of pre-written adventures are interesting to you and when you bring up things like um, uh, settings or uh, like collections of NPCs or collections of things that you can steal from and put in your game that kind of stuff I love you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, one of my like one of my favorite things, and and it's interesting. It's less of a pre-written adventure, um, but the um, the odd jobs table, and I think it's the mercenaries splat book for traveler, right? Mm-hmm. Is it's basically like all, hey, you're at a starport, and you're like, oh, I don't have any big gigs, and I'm like, you can roll on a random table, and all they are is basically adventure scenes, right? They give you here's an NPC you meet, here's a scenario that happens, right? And it's like, oh. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that, right? Um, and I think like that was less of a here's a whole structured thing, but it's more like here's something to get you going. Like mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Like one or even you like the one sheet adventures, right? Like that's to me interesting pre written adventure material. Exactly, 100% agree with that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's that also whole- for Traveler they have the 1001 characters book. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, to- Elspeth and I are doing a, a a group characters book we're working on, um, where basically they're groups of six characters and they all 
and we're, and we're actually using the system to roll them up. And so they all have connections. So when you get them, it'd be like, oh, here's a bunch of, of people that just graduated from military academy. Right. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if you were running, if you're a GM, right, you might be like, oh, hey, let's do a one shot. Here you go. Boom. Here's here's six, some number of characters that all have a reason to play together. Oh, my God. Right? How awesome that would be for con games. Yeah, that's the whole idea is that or, you know, or if players were like, oh, hey, not everybody showed up, you know, it'd be cool to do a side mission. Boom. Here's some characters. So when we do the book. It's going to be here's the characters. Here's where they're located. They all have a location or. Uh, 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 where they are all together. Like one of them is like all people that work at a starport, mm-hmm. right? And you so, could use them to then go do adventures with. So not just that. What if you imagine that book of a uh, thousand and one characters or whatever, and those characters, like if you read all the stories, like you'd find out there's actually, un- there's a cur- undercurrent of stories in there, right? Where suddenly mm-hmm. you start reading into like, oh wait, there's weird revolution shit going on. Oh, by the way, there's like, this union over here and these guys aren't into the union. And do you know what I mean? Like you're just, and it's not part of the game. It's just like written into these characters. And if you just picked one, you can make up whatever you want with it. But if you read the whole thing, there's like narratives going on. And to me, that's, that's one of the reasons why I liked Merkurger and all those thousand thousand islands. Each one is like a setting, but if you read the whole setting, you're not given a A to B line adventure path. But what you see is there's an undercurrent of stuff going on. Cultural, sometimes there's like people who know each other, but like it's kind of hinted at. And to me, that's the most fantastic thing because I can just pull stuff out of that game, like settings and just run with it and make up my own shit. Or if I use enough of them, then I can see, I can like play with the stories that those guys provided, right? And kind of like dig into that. Either it's just like inspiration for how to play a character or like maybe what the big bad is or whatever is, you know, causing tension between my players. Like all that stuff is part of the setting. Well, um, it's interesting because it's less that it's an adventure, right? Like here's a little thing. And yeah. it's more like seeds or like accessories, right? Like here's a thing you can use. Like, oh man, I still have my copies of Grimtooth's Traps, oh, yeah. which were just like crazy, right? Um, and, or like, you, or that's like, you, know, you get a book, it's like, oh, here's like a thousand items. And it's just like things you look through and you can and, and inspire things or, or even just like, you know, you might find some super cool sword that's in a, it's in a book and you're like, oh, I'm going to, oh, that gives me an idea for an adventure. Like I love tools more than I want someone to have to write the whole thing out for me, right? But those can be pretty robust tools. Like those can be complete characters, can be complete groups. That could be, um, I love this. the books that are like, here's a hundred establishments for your city, right? Because there's um, times where you're like, oh, oh they go to a, ta- a pub. Oh man, I don't want to try to think of a pub. Boink, here right. it is. Or, or even like, you know, I, like take a D&D module, like one... I read at one point and I was like, no, I, I have no desire to run this. But it's like that basic, like, uh, Dragon Ascending has minions going into a town and fucking with it, and then you have to, like, go and destroy the dragon. Instead, having a thing where there'd be, like, six or seven dragons around and all the shit they're doing to fuck with each other, and you have all these story seeds and possibilities within that. Yeah, maybe, like, somebody destroys a town, or maybe, like... Uh, one of the dragons is like doing some magic bullshit or another dragon is needs something done. As long as there are needs that things that have to be done um, that the players want to do, if, especially if a, if a game can give things for the players that the players find themselves in untenable situation and want to figure out how to do it their own way. 
that's what I really, really want in a module. You and know, so if there's an untenable situation <laughs> where there's six dragons trying to murder each other and the characters have to figure out how to stop that, go. That's much more interesting the, to me. You know, that that, that reminds me of um, very early on, uh, uh, a game designer named James Raggy sent us um, four or five self-published adventures and they were they were um systemless adventures and i well i think that he originally wrote them for was lamentation of the flame princess i can remember the game oh that's, that's the one that had the og the the yeah I think whatever it, the it may, OS, have, it may have started as an osr the game, open source I, yeah I think. but yeah. but the the thing about the adventure when because i because i think we divided them up i think he sent us three or four of them i read one I think Tappy read one and Stork read one. And I read through this adventure, and it's like, okay, this is how I come up with with adventures. It's like, okay, my the one I had, it was like a wedding, and there was a murder mystery. And, like, the bride was found dead or something. And, and then he goes through and says, here's the areas where this takes place. It takes place on an estate or something like that. And here's here's the different locations. Here's the the NPCs that are involved and also the suspects. And, and what their relationships were with the victim or with the, the groom or whoever. And then, you know, when you get to the back of it, it's like, <clears throat> and this was, the, this was the part to me that made me laugh because I do this all the time whenever I'm doing a mystery like that. He doesn't tell you who the murderer is. You figure out who the murderer is, or the party figures out who the murderer is. And Players figure out who it is. That's right. the brilliant part. <laughs> and, and I think if, if I were, and I don't, I, I, you, I, I never ran it. Um, I haven't run a pre-made module in in probably three or four decades, but if I were to run a, a module, it would have to almost have to be something like that. That's very open-ended, where it's basically here's here's a I'm going to frame a scene or frame a series of scenes. Go, do what you're going to do. Um, excuse me, like when I joined this podcast and I started following you fuckers, and you guys came out with two sides, one epic. Right. That's exactly what that was. Yeah. It was just like, here is a shit ton of scenarios, you know, a one or two sided page, and it's going to give you all the basic shit. Mm -hmm. And I actually ran a Dungeon World campaign where we were like a crack team of army recruits out on the edge protecting the Empire from incursion, right? But I couldn't get players to get at the table consistently. So I made it very episodic and I used all those two sides, one epic things as like the individual missions they had to go on. Oh, cool. So whoever showed up on that Tuesday, it was like, okay, I'm going to run this, but I'm going to kind of like tweak it. So it works in our world, like our fantasy world and then done. And that's what I did. I did. I ran like five of those things. So I think those things are just such good use of like being able to like, it's like the right, I'm not going to say it's the right. That that's poor, <laughs> poor of me. I'm gonna say it is definitely a level of uh, you know stuff that you want and the space that you want that works for me. Some people want more information. Some people want a lot less information. Right. But you know, like for me, two sides one epic. You guys did like the service and like so much of the indie game space is around that like one page RPG and or one page you know like settings and things like that. Um, I will say that back in the letter, it said something about what what is interesting to you. Is that what he said? Yeah. What kind of pre-written adventures yeah. are interesting to you? 
What okay. would you like to see in? You find the thing that you love, whatever the fuck that is. For me, it was Star Frontiers at first. And I was like, oh, I want to run Star Frontiers. But you know what? That system sucks. There's no way I'm going to learn it and make people play that at the game convention because it was written in fucking 70 whatever, and it's not fun. And so I ran a Savage Worlds hack of it and made it fun in my way. And I felt like, wow, I got to run my game the way I wanted to run it. So I got inspired next by Fallout Shelter. And I'm like, okay, how do I do this? And given what I was inspired by at the time. So just find that shit that you love, whatever it is, whether it is a setting or a game system or, you know, some like, you know, cinema that you watch and you're like, how do I turn that into a game and then figure that out? Maybe running another system, run it in 10 candles if it's some horror thing or final girl or whatever, you know, but find the thing that you love and then mash it with games in a way that feels fun. That's it. There's, there's one last question that, that was in here that mm-hmm. Jonas sent, which is, do you have any pre-written adventures or campaigns you have run and liked? I have one that I played in that I liked, and I liked it for a specific reason. Um, when we did the um, Savage Rifts game, the opening like scenario, um, Kadave ran that. It was like, it's the one that came with the book. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and he did that specifically... Um, for 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 viewers, right? It's like, oh, hey, if you bought this and you want to see what this scenario actually is like, that's how we're going to start, right? It also was good because getting into the world and stuff, it gave a lot of things there for those of us that hadn't played Rifts before. Um, but the thing that was a requirement with that is that we got about halfway through the first session and basically unknowingly, I killed the big bad of the scenario and so then Dave was like oh right. I guess we'll need to figure out how that changes the rest of the pre-written adventure <laughs> right um, so you have to be able to roll with it if you do it right and I think that's the thing is as the GM like you need to be able to just say you know no plan is going to survive meeting with my players so th- at least I didn't do all this work <laughs> that may get thrown out um, and I'm going to have to improv just as much as when I'm doing my own stuff. Right. I, yeah, I, I, I can't think of, I can't think of one that I played in or ran that I liked. <laughs> I, I have the same problem. I cannot think of a single module that I played in or ran that I enjoyed. All right. There was one at Strategicon. There was a guy, I forgot his name, he hasn't shown up anytime recently, and he ran a Tomb of Horrors. Oh, really? Where you can just get resurrected over and over again with new NPCs <laughs> or new, like, regens. So you basically, like, we're running in and trying to figure it out, and of course we're going to die in, like, anywhere between five and ten minutes, but then you get another character and you get to keep going knowing what you knew before. <laughs> so it was all about, like, we have four hours to play this game, can we get through it? Throwing as many PCs as we can at it. It's like you're a bull, uh, bull of petunias. Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> oh, no. I mean, like, look, that adventure for a regular party who's invested in their characters is horrible. But the way this was written was super fun. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you have to take that adventure and, like, turn some kind of, like, something sweet out of that horrible shit salad. Oh. <laughs> My favorite salad. It's keto friendly. 
<laughs> I just went and looked because there's no link to Two Sides One Epic on the web page anymore. Kimmy must have removed it, but it, the file is still in there. So I'll 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 put up a link to it for anyone who wants to get it. It's free, and and basically it was a kind of a contest. We we got a bunch of a bunch of listeners uh, sent sent us one 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 page adventures in whatever setting or system they wanted, or or they were systemless, I think. And, and then uh, Tim, remember that guy? Tim, which Tim? <laughs> the Tim. He he had a contest which was like this similar thing. It that came out years Tim later. Guy he used that to Tim be guy. in the show, you know, bald, oh, big. That, did he do it? Did he fall? Eh, did he fall he through? through a little bit. <laughs> There's a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even here to defend himself. That's terrible. <laughs> That's what makes it easy and fun, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it is. All right. Uh, well, that's wait, it. wait. Yeah. before we go, can I can I just? I mean, I'm not saying we're going, but like, oh my god, uh, not just Jonas Larson, but did you hear him mention Uncommon Man? Mm-hmm. I'm just sorry, my love, Uncommon Man. <laughs> go way back. Oh, oh, by the way, I was wrong. His first email, he sent it uh, February. Uh, no, no, uh, December of 2012. And it was season nine, episode two. Mm. And it was about... I remember that show. It was a good show. <laughs> oh, was it... Uh, oh, he wrote, It's about a, a bunch of stuff. I think he... Yeah, he, he tends to write emails with and, and hits a lot of topics. So, yeah, I, I, I saved all of the Google Docs for, for every episode of the show. I have all of them. I can search all of them on Google Drive. You know what, Stu? Yeah. If we don't get any emails... Just go back to the beginning. It's been long enough now. No one's going to You know what? You're right. That's not a bad idea. We'll do flashback episodes. Well, but also, we have a different perspective on games oh, than we did yeah. 11 years ago. Sure. Absolutely. You just have to figure out what that time is where when you loop it, like everyone's talking about that game anyways. It's like the retro thing. And so no one will notice. Right. I, and then it'll be great when we get to the crunch versus fluff debate. And then and the and the the like eight or nine episodes where everyone was sending emails in about <laughs> every twelve years there will be a crunch <laughs> You know it's it it's I'm looking through this because you know we limit the 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 length of the show now we don't do two or three hour shows anymore but hey. <laughs> but but I mean back then I'm looking at some of these documents. We would read nine emails because we'd read them all. We'd read all of them. Yeah. I was there. Uh, by the time, like, the eighth internet or the eighth um, uh, email came around, I think I was probably so blasted that oh, I could yeah. leave oh. and read. Absolutely. Oh, here, here's an email from Jeb from Postcards from the Dungeon, a, a fellow podcast that no longer exists. I'm, I'm just kind of going through memory lane now. Yehuda from Israel wrote in. Uh, oh, I remember Yehuda. Yeah, and DT Pints, an epic from DT Pints, and it's uh, almost two pages long. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And they would just get red. Just um, get red. Man. Can I ask who here has played with DT Pints? I I I did uh, briefly once. Okay. I just want to say, like, that was one mm. of the people you could actually play with from, like, JackerCon and stuff any time. Right. Like, yes. when you play JackerCon, he was, like, in over half the games. Oh, yeah. 
I, you know, I think there's a JackerCon coming up, isn't there? Yeah, like I'm in checking. June or something? In June for, or July? I can't in, remember when. Uh, it, oh, it began, my God. June did, did we not talk about GameX yet? No. Well, right, because there's the new virtual GameX, right? right? We're only an hour and a half in, but... Stu, you can splice this in the beginning, right? Splice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Dude, okay. You're obviously a longtime viewer and listener of the show. <laughs> Ed, edit, editing? What? What? Edit? <laughs> if we could edit, we would look way smarter. Holmes, let me let me remind you. Edit is a four-letter word. That's right. Fair. Okay, so it's not too late. The show hasn't ended quite yet. Let me at least connect. Jump in with GameX yeah, for a second. Go. Okay. So, holy crap, guys! There's a global pandemic. Strategicon GameX has been, in some way, the physical convention canceled. You cannot spend a lot of money at the hotel and get really shitty expensive food and then play lots of games. But what you can do, because there's now a virtual GameX, is you can still get the games. So fuck yeah, get on the strategicon.net site or whatever and register for free for virtual GameX. It is free, you heard me. You don't have to pay the normal registration free. And then a Discord's gonna be opening up in the next few days. It's basically like a hotel lobby. They have it broken up into different categories like board games and whatever the hell Strategicon does, including RPGs, which is us. And Games On Demand even has its own little space different from the scheduled RPGs. So if there's something you like about Strategicon and you usually go, go. Make a weekend out of it. It's in a week and a half from now. Well, actually, a week from now. Good call, so, man. I got the email on that, and I was so excited. I'm like, yes, this is super cool. Man, make it fun. You've been in a pandemic for two months. This shit sucks. Everybody say it. So, like, here, you know what? Pretend you're in a hotel. Only call it Hotel Home, and then play these games online, right? It's People awesome. You know what? I'll just I'll and double and pay my mortgage that month, and then I'll order food <laughs> Just like the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's what you do. You, you 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 double pay your mortgage, and that covers your hotel and parking, or, or valet. And then you go on Uber Eats and order McDonald's, and then mm -hmm. tip the guy fifty bucks. And then it's exactly the same experience. It's the con, exactly. <laughs> and, so I'm and, just saying. And you so can't start. And you can't start drinking until what? Like one one p.m. or two p.m. when the bar opens. You can start drinking whenever you want at virtual cost. Yeah. Oh, but you have to wait 45 minutes for your drink. So yeah, the, yes. Well, unless yeah. you're sitting at the right table because the waitresses take care of us there. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? I don't have at home a waitress taking care of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I know, I'm pretty hungry now. Tom's has um, okonomiyaki uh, in his uh, background now. So goddamn it, Tom's. <laughs> at work we have like our our like friday night like go to the bar meetings and a couple of us just keep rotating background images based on whatever the conversation's floating into so today we were talking about okonomiyaki and hence <laughs> all right uh let's go ahead and call it uh see i i, I meant to get like a big hammer and sickle behind me when i pull the green screen out and I didn't. I didn't have time to do it because I was going to have a, a, with a big flourish, pull the flag, and it'd be the don don. Anyway, maybe next week. <laughs> I just. I just got this green screen. You can just kind of see over here in the corner, 
the 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 is that Hawaii? I don't even know where that is. That's that one, is that's, that's classy. That's Let me tell the, you right now. That's one of you the are running ones. a top notch organization. Ooh, <laughs> I'm on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shit, where's the fader? There. God damn it. Thank you for joining us for season 26, episode 18 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Tappy. I am Bill. And Tomes. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week at 7 p.m.-ish Pacific Daylight Time, right here at happyjacks.org slash live. And thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.